0: Okay. Quick pre-intro intro. intro. This is a super exciting episode for me. So I was kind of tripping over myself when I was talking to him. This is my first interview, my first guest on the podcast. His name is Scott Edwards. He's a really cool dude. He's been in the business for so long, longer than I've been alive. And it was super cool talking to him. And I hope to talk to him again. But it kind of got a little messy at the end with me trying to find a good segue into ending. So I just wanted to make sure that I reiterate that if you want to check him out, please go check out his podcast. It's called Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC. He's also got a website by the same name. So please check him out. He's cool. He's got a lot of old comedy stand-ups from the early 80s to 90s, uh, and he'll put those on his podcast, and you can listen to him just the straight audio as they were. He also interviews a bunch of the old celebrities from back in the day, that weren't so big when they were w- working with him. But as they gained fame, he was able to see them come up. And to be that kind of platform that people use to elevate themselves is super cool to me. I think it was a great conversation. And I know the audio was a little rough because it was actually a phone call. It's a conference call that I used. Uh, but I figured out a way to use my mic in it. So I am a little like rough throughout it. My voice is getting super Loud at random times, so I do apologize for that. Please stick with me. It's my first uh, guest, first interview. Super excited for it, and there's not really a good time for me to throw my my commercial sponsorship in there. So I'm gonna hit you with it right after this. So don't get scared of this is for the money. Okay, I know I've, I've heard about a bunch of y'all. Oh man, when you scream, it really gets me. Just just stick with me, okay? I gotta put it in here. <laughs> so please like i said go check scott out he's great i hope to talk to him again and i hope you all enjoy the episode peace good morning good afternoon and good night my name is zach welcome to the lightheaded podcast today's a very special episode one to go down in the history books of my legacy we have our first guest he's a lucrative businessman who owns many comedy clubs and other businesses He's been working in the entertainment field longer than I've been alive. And he has worked with some of the biggest names of stand-up comedy, reaching all the way up to names, such as Jay Leno and Seinfeld. Scott Edwards, everybody.
1: Hey, everybody, good morning. Oh wait, we should do this properly. Hold on. Oh,
0: there it is. Welcome,
1: welcome. <laughs>
0: you got the fancy i I deserve stuff. a
1: little I deserve a little fanfare. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> good morning, Zach. Good morning, uh, Zach's podcast listeners. And good morning to you, too. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm excited to have you on.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here. we uh, It's interesting. Uh, I've been thinking about this, and I'm just fascinated to hear
0: uh, about your uh, life as a comic in Italy. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I haven't been able to start that yet. I'm actually in the military. That's why I'm in Italy uh and so i'm right now this is like my me starting to reach for that dream i want to eventually get there but it's hard to do that you know in the middle of a pandemic in italy and we just got locked down again but i'm trying to yeah, do as much as i
1: can this has been a horrible effect on uh, entertainment across the board i uh talk to professional entertainers uh weekly and the slowdown or it's really not a slowdown the shutdown of the entertainment industry has just uh been hard on everybody and and i think that's uh not only hard on the entertainers but hard on the audience i mean people just can't get out and escape their life you know uh, entertainment's all about escapism and you know you don't worry about your bills you don't worry about uh your work You, you get away and you watch a movie or you see a comedy show and we all need that escapism In my particular field, stand-up comedy is particularly in tune to that because what's great about stand-up comedy, and Zach, you're going to find this out when you get a chance to uh, start hitting the stages, it's a true interpersonal relationship between the entertainer and the audience. It's one of the few
0: entertainment formats where you get an instant response from your audience. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about it. I like seeing people's reactions, and I like hearing people laugh and their smiles. I like to have that interpersonal reaction. And I think what you said about the escapism is uh, a part that a lot, not a lot of people are thinking about. When you can't escape from your reality like as often as you want to, then a lot of people aren't happy with their reality, and a lot of people aren't happy with their bills or anything. And that escapism allows them to just take a reset and reboot. And then you come back at it with a better attitude. So I think that a lot of people are, You know i think that has a lot to do with where our our world is at today with everyone kind of seeming on edge and everything creating a bigger problem i think people just haven't had that that opportunity to reset no you're
1: absolutely correct in fact uh uh what i love about entertainment is it's escapism that doesn't damage you (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean some people turn to drugs or alcohol or whatever And going to a comedy club and spending two hours laughing your butt off is so uh, lethargic and so healthy. And we just have not been able to do it. And that's one of the reasons, although I started before COVID, uh, my podcast, Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC, is just pure entertainment. It's all about sharing the laughter, sharing some entertainment,
0: and it's just a, a brief getaway from what we're all going through. Yeah, absolutely. I I can't even imagine what it was like before trying to start up a podcast. I mean, I, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I've been talking about it for a year. I've even had the microphone and the setup and everything. Uh, but taking that first leap was, ours, was always hard for me. And then seeing how the world is today and how everyone doesn't have that escapism, and I thought maybe by starting a podcast I could at least give them 30 to 45 minutes out of a day to just really kind of get that experience that they aren't getting nowadays and I think that's the beauty of I mean technology nowadays in this podcast is that I have that reach I'm reaching people in the U.S. and family and friends that I haven't talked to in a long time but they're amazing enough to check it out and have a good time and let me know what they think I mean even if it's not yeah. some big name stand-up you know
1: no, no, no. You're actually providing some of that escapism. You're providing some of that entertainment because you're giving your friends and family and, and your podcast listeners an opportunity to focus on something other than their health and their bills. And uh, plus, I think there's the added benefit for your loved ones. They get to hear your voice. And Zach, it's so important to have that connection. And comedy is a great way to connect to people because if you're doing it right, you're doing material that relates to everybody's life. I mean, some of the most successful guys I've worked with, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno, the name two, were terrific at talking about everyday things that everybody could relate to. Seinfeld had a hilarious bit when he first started about, uh, you know, why is it that all men's pajamas look like mini suits? And they have bre- breast pockets and everything. It's like, what's that for when you're heap, right? And <laughs> yeah. and it was just a throwaway line. But everybody in the audience knew what he was talking about. Everybody's seen right. men's, men's pajamas that they look like little suits. They have breast pockets. They have collars. And it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Jay Leno is one of the few people... Uh, And I've had to work uh, the pleasure to work with him a lot that could bring up the absurdities in life. You know, he, he would uh, talk about, uh, you know, taking an airplane ride and, and, and the craziness that we all deal with and we accept as normal. That's really bizarre. And I think that what's great about comedy and Zach, once you start hitting the stage, you're going to want to write about everyday life because Your life is the same as everybody else's, and if you point out how funny it is that you know that, uh, hey, when your car has a problem, you you don't go to the auto shop; you just turn up the radio so you can't hear the problem. Uh, (laughs) You know, everybody's done that, (laughs) right?
0: Right? (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I I'm excited to finally get out there. I'm hoping it'll happen sooner than later. I'm lucky enough to. Uh, come back stateside in October, so I've only got nine more months here. And once I get stateside, I, I want to start working the stage as much as I can. Um, it's funny that you brought up uh, a couple of the big name guys. I actually had a question about that. Uh, I was wondering, like, is there any stories or anything about any of the comics that you've worked with that really just kind of stands out in your head, whether that be a bad experience that you don't exactly have to say a name for or even a, a fantastic experience where you're thinking, wow, this guy is way more humble than he could be at where he is, you know?
1: Yeah, it uh, was interesting working with a lot of the, what we consider big big names in entertainment now, back when they were just getting started. Uh, One of the earlier uh, examples would be when Paula Poundstone came to work for me in uh, the early 1980s. She had just come out from Boston, and between you and me, she sucked. She was not a very good comic. She just had the drive and she was weird enough and strange enough that she um, had the ability and she, in the history, and I owned a chain of comedy clubs for over 21 years, in the history of my club uh, management, she was the only entertainer I allowed to work multiple weeks in a row because each and every night. She would go up on stage and then she'd come off and we'd sit and have a, a chat about her set, what she needed to work on, what she needed to, uh, uh adjust verbiage wise to get the best lap. And wow. that week she was the opening act for, um, Gary Shandling and Gary Shandling sat her down and worked with her on the writing and actually helped her write some material. And this was just to get her started i mean paulo is a is pure entertainment um mm. a terrific gal um just funny naturally, which helps a lot and right. but what my point of bringing it up was that she's an example of somebody that um she had it in her, but it had to kind of be drug out, and uh, the key, Zach, to being a terrific stand up comic is practice, 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 like anything else in the world. You have to do it a lot. And so once you get back to the States, or find somewhere in Italy that you can just go up in a coffee shop or something and and maybe do five minutes and practice and just, you know, don't be afraid to bomb, because that's how you learn what works and what doesn't work. And in the case of Paula, uh, after her multiple weeks of working for me, early on, we brought her back more and more. And she became a feature act soon. She became a headliner. And then, um, you know, all the stars aligned and lightning struck and boom, she was a huge star and has gone on to a fabulous career. But, uh, um, sh- that's just the, a good big name example, but that happens to comics. Uh, every day that if you right. put in the work, if you put in the work and you, you write about what the audience can relate to, Uh, it can really take you somewhere. Right.
0: That's, that's amazing. I mean, to even think about putting that much time in and having people like you and, and everyone else that had helped E Paula in this case, that's fantastic to have those kind of people around you that are willing to take that extra time and that time after work that you sit down and you work on it. I think those are important people to have in your life. And I think that's like the key to success is to be able to have the people that you can kind of bounce ideas off of and they can be honest with you whether or not, yeah, I don't know. That, that joke kind of sucks or yeah, this one's going to kill. I think that's super important, especially in this business.
1: Yeah. And I think you'll find it's a, it's a community, uh, like a lot of other, the entertainment industry, you know, jugglers hang out with jugglers and magicians hang out with magicians. (laughs) Comics are comics are a community. And there's a few prima donnas that, uh, think they're too good to, uh, to interact with somebody. I will tell you that uh, uh, somebody like Jay Leno, who is hugely successful in so many ways, loves the industry, loves what he does. He still goes out and performs every week on stage. And he always treats all the other comics, whether they're a brand new newbie or someone that's been in the business 10 years, like a peer. And wow. that is that is really great. Now, I, there's a few that I could say that wouldn't do that. But <laughs> right. uh, in general, it's a community and everybody tries to support everybody. Um, yeah. I think that you'll find that once you get out there, some of your best support will be other stand-up comics. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get out there and experience all this, to hear that people with the kind of success that Jay Leno has and all that where they still love the community to where they want to be a part of it is fantastic to hear about because that's something that I've always been worried about. It's like, well, what if I'm trying to be involved with somebody and they think, uh, well, why would I get involved with this guy? He does nothing for me, but to hear that is, is very helpful and meaningful.
1: Yeah. And and it is, you know, there, there's uh, the other side of the course. I mean, there's, uh, uh, one of the guys I worked with a lot early on, uh, we're not uh, quote-unquote friends these days, uh, Dennis Miller, the uh, political satirist. Okay, yeah, he, yeah. He's done a lot of, he's had his own show, The Dennis Miller Show, and
0: uh, right. very
1: po- very politically minded. Um, he's a very funny guy and very smart and very sharp, but he is uh, not the kind of guy you want to approach after a show. He, right. he just, okay. he just thinks he walks on water, but you know uh, he's earned it and, and he's good. So that's his prerogative. I, I don't appreciate that attitude, but it's out there.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just some people where you just kind of let them do their own thing and maybe it's even better for the community that they're not exactly spreading that kind of toxicity within it. Yeah.
1: It's but... uh it's always better to try to be positive and be supportive Um, The other thing about stand-up comedy, Zach, is that it's very personal. In other words, um, you could tell a joke about your experience in the military, and there could be another guy that does a material about being in the military, but because you're coming from a different point of view, it all works. So, you know, and, and that's something that you should lean on. You want to lean on what's called in the business, your hook. And that mm-hmm. is material that's uh, personal to you that other people can relate to. You know, every audience that you ever get in front of is going to either have been or know somebody that was in the military. So if you can point out the uh, weirdness and the craziness of working for the government and being in the military, uh, right there, yeah. you, you've got a stool to stand on.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great idea. And that's something that I hadn't really thought of where, I mean, even if somebody is making the same kind of topics and subjects that you are, it doesn't mean anything if you have your own personal take on it and your own stories with it. Um, With that, I was wondering, what are some struggles in the stand-up and comedic industry that not a lot of people would know about, whether that's like backstage or trying to write jokes or maybe just bouncing it off each other?
1: Well, I would say for anybody that's interested in the industry, you have to be, uh, I mean, everybody in comedy, let's just be honest, is bottom line insecure. Uh, right. We all have something wrong in our head that uh, we're insecure and we're looking for the love and adoration of an audience to make us feel good, uh, me included. And what's challenging is to really get good to really be a success and we could name drop all day long, but, uh, you have people like George Wallace, who's been in the industry for 50 years or somebody like, uh, uh, Steve Smith, who's been doing it for 30 years. There are people that, uh, put in the work. A lot of people don't understand. They'll see somebody on TV. That's doing something funny being a comic and they go, Oh man, you know, that was quick or, uh, you know, like, what's the term overnight success? And that's not the case. It's a lot of night after night, drudge after drudge, getting up on every stage you can and honing that material. And I was trying to explain to a young comic out of Florida just yesterday that you have to do the same material if it's, if it's got, if it's decent over and over and over to get the right timing, to get the right verbiage, to be able to be able to add to it. It, it's something that's it's like a seed you plant and you have to let it time to grow. So to get to your point of your question, the hardest part is being on the road. It's the time yeah. being patient, the time it takes to create an act, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes of material that an audience is going to want to hear, listen to and laugh at. And uh, I'll tell you something interesting. The first minutes that you get together as a set is so difficult but once you find that magic rhythm and once Mm -hmm. you find your voice as an entertainer Jay Leno I'm not kidding I produced uh, two different uh, concerts with him with over 2000 people sold out concerts I'm not kidding he did two and a half hours straight material I jeez mean, you know uh, the, the first time I had him uh, the opening act was uh, Yakov Smirnoff, uh the comic what? from Russia and he only had to do 15 minutes 20 minutes because even though he could do more but because Jay commanded and, and could utilize that much stage time and even though that's a long time to sit and listen to one person nobody in the audience left they were laughing from beginning to end. It was, it was just so amazing to watch.
0: Yeah, that ability to really hook people into your stories and make it interesting the entire time is something that I think not a lot of people can do very easily. And like you said, you have to put in that practice and that time and the, the verbiage. And that's where a lot of people don't understand the struggle where you're not always you're not always going to be some overnight success because there's really not – that doesn't exist. Like there's always time – after and before that you're trying to do all this stuff that not a lot of people are thinking oh that's just so easy i could be a comic i could stand on a stage and make people laugh and it's not about making one person laugh it's about making an entire audience laugh at the same joke no matter how you tell it and a lot of people don't
1: realize that's where the acting the term acting comes in because uh you'll see a lot of comics become actors and you go well how are those two relatable and the answer is, if you're doing the same joke night after night, you want to present it like it's the first time you ever thought of it. And that's acting, right? right? Yep. You, don't, you, you don't want to go up and drone on some bit that you've done 10 times to make it sound like you've done it 10 times. You want the audience to think, wow, I just thought of this just for this audience. And yeah. that's where you're acting and that's where you develop that uh, uh Persona. I wanted to explain real quick. You brought it up the overnight success and how you have to work. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a a close friend of Dana Carvey and Dana had started work. He was out of the Bay area and he started working for us uh, early in the eighties. We were got very chummy. He actually used to be in a band with his brother, And they came up as a full band and worked my club. He would do a comedy set and then his band would, uh, they would play Chopping Broccoli and and the McDonald's song. uh, I'm sorry, the Burger King song. I want to get it right. Uh, Things (laughs) that ended up on Saturday Night Live, but he was doing them on my stage um, uh, years before. And what was interesting was he was just a road comic that had uh, gotten a few opportunities And uh, one night after a show, we had uh, all got together and we were uh, four or five of us sitting in a jacuzzi, having uh, some drinks, and he had just gotten the call from Saturday Night Live asking him to come to New York to audition for the show. And he was so afraid and so excited (laughs) at the same time. Because yeah. here, here's this road comic that's been working comedy clubs and he'd done a couple, you know, like even when he was working for at my clubs, there was a couple little TV spots. So he had some experience, but to right. get, get the call from Lorne Michaels in New York and say, Hey, we want you to come out and be a part of SN, uh, SNL um, was, you know, at the moment it, it was kind of like an overnight success. Because he went from being uh, Dana Carvey sitting in a jacuzzi with a a couple comedy club owners to being Dana Carvey, one of the stars of Saturday Night Live and having a huge career going on and doing movies and and having a great career. But again, when you see him in the movies like Wayne's World and stuff, you don't think about all the years he spent on the road, driving around the Bay Area in in sacramento and in la hitting uh clubs and working uh seven eight ten shows a week uh to hone his act
0: right right yeah that's that's a fantastic story that's cool i (laughs) to even have stories like this is just a dream you know
1: well Um, you know it, it i've been very blessed i have to be honest zach i've been very blessed i i've had a chance to um I'm kind of an A personality. If there's something I want to do, I go at it. Uh, That Mm -hmm. led me to uh, open uh, nine different companies. And the one laughs unlimited, the chain of comedy clubs, uh, just so many dreams came true. And it wasn't like I was looking for it. We just hit the crest of the wave at the right time. When I opened my club, it was the 12th comedy club in the country. Uh, there, wow. was, there was only, there was only 12 full-time comedy clubs in the country. And then of course, by about 1982, 83, uh, you could find a comedy club on every corner. It was like Starbucks, right? And right. all the discos turned into comedy clubs and, you know, and Black Angus Steakhouse had a, a stage in the corner and was doing instead of folk music and some guitarists, they'd have a, they would let people go up and do comedy. I mean, it, it got crazy but I was able to ride that wave through the eighties. Um, and then into the nineties after the uh, financial drop in 91 or so, uh, it kind of took the wind out of the sails of comedy and it was different by the time I I did sell my company in 2001 and comedy had already changed. The industry was starting to wane a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very blessed that I was able to ride that wave through the 80s and 90s when uh, you had a chance to work with people that uh, uh, were just terrifically talented.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like when people are trying to hit the market just right, when business majors are trying to find a new market to get into. I mean, I was watching a video the other day uh, about a man who sells luxury ice. And that's because he found out it was like a $4 billion market. And then he decided I'm going to make luxury eyes and he's doing fantastic with it. It's all about like hitting it at the right spot.
1: Right, right, right. But five years from now, 10 years from now, will that be as true? Who knows? The good news is he got into it at the right time. And, hopefully he's smart and banks some of the money he makes.
0: <laughs> right. right. Not sure how well and, and, luxury and,
1: eyes can keep going. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I wasn't that smart. I was never good at, uh, uh, saving money and banking money. Uh, I just had a lot of fun. I got to tell you, um, it, it was crazy. Uh, one time, uh, I, I don't want to, uh, sound braggy, but it was, it's kind of a cool story. <laughs> we, uh, we had a big event. We brought in a lot of money at the club, and I was sitting on, uh, I don't know, maybe fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 And instead of putting it into retirement or saving it, uh, what I did is I uh, chartered a Learjet and got uh, uh, five of my favorite uh, female guests. And we flew down to L.A., and we got a chance to uh, go backstage at the Tonight Show and hang out. Uh, with Leno and and, and in the green room with a couple entertainers and then we flew to uh, Vegas and we saw a couple shows and uh, uh, I got to tell you that was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience and I'm not wealthy never have been and I probably would have been smarter to put that money into bonds or something but I have memories and experiences that nobody could ever take away I mean it was it was an
0: amazing long weekend.
1: <laughs>
0: right, right, yeah, that's that is fantastic. I, I think I am very similar in the way I think. I believe in in memories, and I, I mean, I don't even take pictures wherever I go. It, I have to remember. Oh, my mom's gonna want to see a picture of where I've traveled. But if I am by myself and I am not thinking like, oh, I should take a picture for somebody else, I don't. I think that living in it, living in the moment, and just kind of experiencing these memories is way better for me and I completely can get what you meant by, you know, it might've been better to put it in some bonds, but to have an experience like that night, I mean, how many people can say that, you know?
1: <laughs> right, right, right. No, you gotta, you gotta soak it in. Um, and what uh, having the success of laughs unlimited opened up uh, opportunities that uh, you just wouldn't think of. Uh, uh, and one of my more bizarre extensions of my life was that in the uh, uh, late 80s early 90s I actually owned a submarine and was in the uh, marine uh, entertainment business uh, where we provided submarine rides for tourists in uh, Monterey California for a couple of years and wow uh, you know how many people can say they own the submarine right <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> so i didn't even pretty... know
0: there was a commercial submarine service
1: <laughs> yeah they, yeah oh well, no they're still going uh, we we uh we didn't do well in monterey actually that was one of my failures in life it didn't do well in monterey because the water was too cold and so mm. the al- algae bloom made it so you couldn't see things so we sold it and the wrigley family bought it and put it in catalina and that submarine's still operating today uh wow but, uh i mean these are just bizarre stories Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your um, podcast show time, but you were asking about any interesting stories. I have one I can share with you. Yeah,
0: I'd love to hear it.
1: So I'm sure you're familiar with Sinbad.
0: I definitely am.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's a pretty famous uh, movie actor and uh, stand-up comic. He's been in the industry for a long time. And a quick Mm. side note, uh, Sinbad actually never worked for me, but we have a unique connection. And here's the story. So in uh, the early 90s, I was uh, at my clubs, I would regularly do uh, open mic nights. And we had a comedy school. And we were trying to always to encourage uh, young people that wanted to get into the business. And we would give them stage time. And there was this one guy that came through the club and went up <laughs> and did his few minutes of open mic time. And I'm a brutally honest producer. Yeah, I will tell somebody, you know, this may not be your thing. Um, well, or, or you need to really, you know, rethink how you're going to present uh, your entertainment. And in this case, I told this guy that and he left. And I, I was trying to be helpful, but it might have seemed a little mean at the time. Well, right. about uh, a week later... I got a four page letter handwritten in pencil that started off where, uh, he hated me that I'd ruined his life. Uh, he he wasn't sure how he could go on living, but before he killed himself, he was going to kill me. And he went on how he was going to hunt me down and make sure I suffered. And, um, uh, anyway death was in the picture by right. pay, by page four of this letter he has wow you're an amazing man i love you um i i really you know appreciated the experience please give me another try you, you know <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean the guy was a total nutbag right, right. So, so here's the strange connection about a year later I get a phone call at the club and, and uh, one of my staff answers the phone and they put him on hold and they go, Scott, Sinbad's on the phone. I go, Sinbad, really? Okay. You know, I pick up the Mm -hmm. phone. Sinbad goes, Hey, you know, this is Sinbad. Uh, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, uh, you know, how can I help you, sir? And he tells me that he is uh, in LA and he is working at this club. And one of the open micers had approached him and he uh, somewhat rebuffed the guy and he got a multi-page death threat letter. <laughs> and I just start laughing and I go, you're kidding. And he goes, no. And, and Sinbad, I'm telling you, was scared because his letter, his letter didn't end as, as a love note like mine. It was a pure death threat. And so he had, uh, spoken to the police and they said, there's, you know, nothing they can do until there was, uh, action, actionable, you know, material. And, uh, and so he, uh, I guess in his rant in the letter, the guy had mentioned me somehow. I don't, I really don't know that, (laughs) but anyway, Sinbad was calling me to see if he, if his fear of this guy was, uh, true and and should be there and so i explained to him who this wackadoodle was and about my letter and how it uh, started off as a death threat and ended up as a love letter and told him that i knew the guy because i had met him a few times he didn't really even know who this bag was sorry i'm using these uh harsh terms but yeah but it was so funny that all of a sudden Sinbad and I had this very personal connection that we had both gotten a death threat from somebody. <laughs> and I was able to calm Sinbad down and make, and, and make him feel, you know, comfortable with it. Now, fast forward about two years later, we're actually um, both working at this one club uh, here in Northern California. And I was uh, producing a uh, America's Got Talent kind of comedy uh, yeah. competition. And he would come in as a headliner for a special weekend show. And we uh, ended up meeting in the uh, manager's office. And uh, the manager goes, uh, You know, Sinbad, this is Scott, Scott, this is Sinbad. And I go, uh, No, no, Sinbad and I have a connection. And Sinbad looked at me kind of funny. And I go, yeah, yeah, we we get we share uh, a death threat and Sinbad goes, oh, my gosh, it's you. Oh, and we <laughs> sat and we sat and talked for about half an hour because we had, you know, we relived the experience of, of getting a, a mutual death threat from this guy. But it was hilarious because uh, Sinbad's a pretty big star and he didn't really know me personally. And as soon as you realized who I was, we were best buds. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was uh, one of those really bizarre
0: things that sometimes happens in life. Right. Shared experiences bring you closer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's crazy. <laughs> um I wanted to get one more question from you before I let you go today. Um, I was wondering, how do you think that like comedy and stand up? as a genre has evolved especially with today's kind of social climate that seems to be where people can kind of you, you know the cancel culture type of idea right yeah so it's like no, the comics are afraid to push the boundaries I guess
1: yeah it's uh it it, it is a little sad I, I'm uh a lot older than you and I've experienced this uh the world of comic entertainment for several decades and it was different in the 50s and 60s and 70s before the big comedy boom and then it was it was uh, very mainstream and and if you were a good comic you could get a sitcom in the 80s um to the by the time uh, the late 90s came around um it was harder for entertainers to uh you know there was. There was really no overnight successes. It was, it was getting harder and harder. You couldn't even get on the talk shows anymore. There was a lot uh-huh. of bitterness. And <clears throat> the, the whole attitude of America was changing a little bit. And that was one of the reasons I sold and got out of the business from that end. I mean, I stayed in the business, but not as a club owner. Right. And um, the, the short story is that I think comedy went down a very harsh path where in order to try to uh, get attention from an audience, instead of doing it by being funny, uh, wannabe comics or even comics, went to more of a shock comedy, shock material. And you ended up hearing the F-bomb over and over and over with no reason. I mean, I'm not a prude. I don't care about that. But if you're saying it, you know, I went to the fricking store to get some fricking bread because I was fricking hungry. That's not funny. You're just trying to generate a reaction from the audience that'll titter or laugh because they're embarrassed for you that you're swearing for no reason. There's no material there, but some people think that was entertainment. Well, it got harsher and harsher to the point where some of the comedy I hear today, and I don't want to influence you, you got to be yourself. But they mm. seem so angry and pissed that they're they're rude and and uh, dismissive of the audience, much like our government. You know, they they um, they're not paying attention. They're not trying to relate. They're just they feel like I want to share my angst, my anger, and I'm going to do it in the rudest, crudest way. And people right. people are mistakenly think that's entertainment. The, the yes. days that, that I worked in, like I was mentioning all these entertainers, Will Schreiner is another one that they could talk about everyday life and make it funny. You don't have to swear. That doesn't mean you couldn't throw in an F-bomb if it really sold a bit, but mm-hmm. it, it, there's a purpose. And these days I find uh, stand up a little more angry and aggressive and it, it, It saddens me a little because the audience doesn't know any better they're paying their cover charge they want to be entertained and to walk into a club and have some guy just go off yelling and screaming about how bad his own life is or how he wants to beat up his girlfriend or or do this or that and think it's funny uh is just sad to me but uh so i do think it's changed. And if I was able to influence you and other people that want to be comics, I would say, go back to talking about your life, talking about what everybody else is dealing with something that's relatable and, and don't be so angry. I mean, comedy's supposed to be fun. It should be entertaining. Uh, right. I, I was like, I told you, I've been working with this guy out of uh, Tampa, Florida and he, I, and he sent me a couple of his sets and I watched him and I took notes and I started to share my comments on his notes and he got very defensive. And I said, look, are you, and here's a great thing to keep in mind, Zach, and everybody out there listening, you got to make a, you have to realize you're getting paid or you're on stage. Your job is to entertain the audience. In other words, you're there for the audience. The audience isn't there for you. You see what I'm saying? Right, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. Give you a, I'll give you a quick uh, example. Uh, you know the comic Bill Maher? Yep. Very successful political comic. Smart as heck. Mm. And, and, a, and a total a-hole, by the way. Uh, Bill, Maher, <laughs> Bill Maher was working for me. He'd worked for me a couple times. And, and one time he went up on stage. It was like a, a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And he's doing his political stuff. And he's like halfway through his set and the audience isn't laughing because he's talking way over their heads. He's throwing out names of politicians in D.C. and in and, and making comments on political stuff that the audience didn't one didn't know and two didn't care about. And right. he stopped in the middle of a set and said, you know what, you're all stupid and I'm smarter than you. I'm out of here. And he walked off stage. What? and i was so pissed i fired his ass on the spot i sent him home i paid him for the two nights he worked i didn't pay him for the week and i sent his ass home and i never worked with again him again because he forgot the golden rule he was getting paid to entertain the audience they had Mm -hmm. paid to hear him entertain them they didn't pay to get insulted they didn't get paid right. to get talked down to. They paid a cover right. charge. They had an expectation to be entertained, and his arrogance was deafening. It was it was so sad to see him. Uh, and he was a smart guy. He's a smart guy, and he and he knows how to use his words. And he was insulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he 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 was rude and insulting, and, and then and then quit doing his job. He walked off the stage halfway through the set. To, so, for me, that was unacceptable, and he was fired on the spot. but yeah absolutely. my my point of the story is uh, Zach, if you get in the business, use you, you know talk about your life, make it relatable, try to make it fun and entertaining to your audience, but um,
0: remember that uh, you're there to entertain them. They're not there for you, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate all the advice, all the stories. It's been fantastic talking to you. I hope I get to talk to you again sometime. Uh, oh. I wanted to give you a little favor. Uh, if you want to do like 30 seconds to a minute of you, just any, anything that you wanted people to follow you on, find you on, listen to your podcast. Uh, I'd like you to just talk about it, you know, let people know.
1: Well, thank you so much, Zach. And for everybody out there, if, you, if you're if you just looking for a break in life and want to hear some good quality stand-up comedy, it's not all squeaky clean, but it's all truly funny. Uh, check out my podcast. It's called Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC. And there's a website, www.standupyourhostandmc.com. And check it out. It is pure fun. I get a chance to uh, do pure comedy sets that i recorded back when i i did a couple i produced several tv shows and concerts but all those years on stage i recorded a lot of it so i have a lot of great material and then i also get a chance to interview some of the comics that you'll remember from the 80s and 90s uh, including people like will schreiner um excuse me george wallace um and and others Uh, i'm having a brain fart Uh, But anyway, check it out, and uh, there's some great entertainment on there. And again, there's it's just entertainment. There's no social uh, point to it. (laughs) You're right. right. Let me add one last thing. Uh, You asked about what's it like with this social climate, and I think Mm -hmm. it's uh, not good. Uh, I think that everybody trying to be worried about one person's uh, emotions or, or, or sensibilities. Is not the way to get through life. Uh, we can't uh, stand up. Comedy is the last bastion of free speech. So mm-hmm. whatever you decide to write about, whether I would like it or not, the point is you have the right to say it. And if you offend somebody, that's their problem. Not yours. right. Right. Yeah, oh, I, didn't really to get to get I didn't mean to get on a soapbox. I didn't mean to get on a soapbox, but I hate the fact that people are, are so afraid of, of hurting the sensibilities of, of one person if you're entertaining 100 people and you piss off one person, you're still doing your job.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm really happy you said that. I think that a lot of people nowadays are too worried about other people and not worried about themselves and just enjoying their own life. I think everyone is trying to fix everyone else's problems when it's not even that a problem for the other person. It's like, it's like the social injustice thing where it's, everyone's got to stand up for somebody who doesn't exactly need to be stood up for when they can stand up for themselves kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, I wish you a lot of luck. Uh, I I I got a sense of your personality. I think you have something to share. And uh, when when you start hitting the stage, you give me a call and and uh, I'll walk you through some of those early times.
0: Awesome! Thank you so so much for coming on again, everyone. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Check them out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll to talk to you again soon, and I will definitely hit you up when I'm hitting the stages. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great day.